Welcome to another episode of The Adventures of the Yellow Peril and Magical Negro. Oh man. Okay, let's see. Uh, should we go through the checklist? Yeah, let's. Okay, we're going to be good. We have a blog. It is yellowperilmagicalnegro.wordpress.com. Uh, our SoundCloud account, which you are probably listening to to hear this, soundcloud.com slash Y-E-L-O-S-O-N. And you can email us at yellowperil.magicalnegro at gmail.com. Um, <sighs> shall I start off with this is my shit? Because yeah. I've got some shit. Go um, ahead. So, geeky news. Uh, do you remember that video game I showed you a while back, uh, Banner Saga? It was sort of the Icelandic one where you're fighting trolls and stuff. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, they're talking about making a board game out of that. Oh, nice. And I'm kind of hyped. Um, for folks who don't know, it was a nice short game that uh, was like a cross between uh, a strategy RPG and like Orkin Trail. <laughs> because oh, basically, yeah. it's happening during Ragnarok. Mm-hmm. And uh, you're trying to lead the survivors along, and you have to take care of food and all that. Um, let's see. Uh, there's a video game, The Witcher, the Witcher game, which uh, basically, you know, has been super white, and people have been talking about, like, what's historical inaccuracy, and, you know, it's bullshit. Yeah. But the interesting thing coming of it is that they're going to make a tabletop RPG, Mm. Um, from this company, Art Halsorian Games, which has been around since the 80s, and the guy who is pretty much the head of Art Halsorian Games is Mike Pondsmith, a black tabletop RPG designer. Mm. So that's kind of interesting. Well, I mean, I played Witcher 2, mm-hmm. and I really enjoyed it. I thought the gameplay and the storyline was really good. It was very, very white, and very, very, um male-focused, male-gaze-focused. Mm-hmm. Like, everything was very boobalicious, and it was very like, hey, this is for teenage boys. But the plot and the fighting was good, and I thought about picking up number three. I don't know yet. We'll see. Yeah. Um, do you want to jump in with yours, or shall I continue to throw out more? Well, one of mine is I finally... Well, do do do. This is not geeky. But RuPaul's Drag Race All-Stars Season 2 has been announced, and I'm very excited about that. Mm-hmm. I mean, it is geeky, just different kind of geeky. And um, I'm super excited about that. They haven't announced who the people are yet. Mm-hmm. I understand that it's a problematic show. We, I can talk about that with someone if they want to. It is problematic for a number of reasons. Um, but one of the reasons I love it is it's one of the few places on network TV that you can see a group of like queer people of color like, interacting and forming relationships and talking to each other. and I mean, granted, it's gotten more and more white as the series has gone on, mm-hmm. but there's still enough people of color that I'm like, look, you know, queer people of color talking to each other and that aren't stereotypes. I love it. Um, the other thing I'm hyped about is um, Elliot Debodard's new book, The House of Shattered Wings. I just got a copy from the publisher yesterday, and so I just started reading it, and it is awesome and dark and gruesome, and there's sawing off of fingers, and there's angels, and using them as drugs, and them ruling so, broken down palaces in Paris. It's right up my So heart. we're talking YA material here, right? YA movie. <laughs> I mean, it could, I mean, I wouldn't doubt it. Oh, and here's the, oh. Well, look, if, if you can have, if you can have grown adult werewolves fall in love with babies, I, I would suspect... Drug use is not really... 
Don't don't speak to me of that. It never <laughs> happened. Um, I the surprise thing that I'm actually interested in checking out. I'm going to check out one episode. Don't any of you judge me, um, or you know, judge me. Whatever. <laughs> Ke- Cassandra Clare's series, uh-huh. which I could not read. Uh-huh. I it was not for me. Um, I saw the movie when I was drunk at my boyfriend's place and, you know, it was halfway through. It was not a good movie. Uh-huh. They're rebooting it as a TV show. Okay. Again, the only reason I want to watch it, number one, it's ABC Family, which perplexes me, but the only reason I want to watch it is there is a canonical queer person of color. There is a queer Asian man named Magnus Bain who is, like, the head wizard of New York or whatever and has been alive for, like, I don't know how long and wears a lot of awesome boots and glittery eye makeup and I enjoy him. And Harry Shum Jr. from Glee will be playing him. And I like me some Harry Shum. So I will watch an episode and see if I can at least get into it in a campy sort of way. Sort of in the Teen Wolf way. Yeah, yeah. Where you're like, I'm not expecting great storyline. This was like me in Mortal Kombat. Oh, I love that show. I still to this day wish it's on DVD somewhere. Yeah, yeah. I loved that fucking Mortal Kombat TV show on TBS. I was addicted. This is actually something else I wanted to bring up. We are sadly lacking in syndicated fantasy TV shows. We are. This was a thing in the 90s and I don't know why we stopped it and it makes me sad inside. I where we had Xena, we had Hercules. I heard they're trying to reboot Xena. Please, Jeebus, do it. Do it well. Um, I'm a huge Xena fan. But we had Xena, we had Hercules, we had Cleopatra 2525, which was science fiction. We had um, the Jack of All Trades one. We had so all the of The most recent thing we had was Merlin syndicated? Merlin was not syndicated. Merlin was a UK show. Okay. So okay. it was um, it was on, like, a main network there. Okay. Which is great. Now we have some sci-fi shows on main networks getting great budgets. But you know what? The low-res digital... Number one, we've advanced so far that that wouldn't even be the case. Even right. if you had the same budget now that you right. had for Xena, you would still have better special effects now. But sometimes those horrible, fantastic special effects were the reason to watch... I mean, who can forget the episode where Xena had to help that human woman give birth to a centaur baby? That will live in nightmares forever. (laughs) I just, that was a great, okay, I just miss it. I miss syndicated, like, syndicated fantasy shows that are, like, on mid-afternoon on Saturday that you can just chill out and watch. Totally valid. Um, I'm gonna try and bring it back one day. This is my vow. So, uh, a friend loaned me Wicked and the Divine, so I got to read all of it. Oh, I'm still not, I'm... All of the first one or all of the second? Both the first and the second. I am... I know what happens at the end of the second, and I am pissed. Yeah, yeah. I'm so angry. I'm, I'm like, sort of like, you could have given me this ending, but I needed more story arc to take me here. Like, I needed... I It felt cheap. Okay, so we're gonna spoil, so, like, you know, cover yours if you don't want spoilers for the second collection of Wicked and the Divine, which came out, you know, a few weeks ago. I think it was longer than that, but... Was it? It was yeah. in July at some point. Hmm. Okay, yeah. Maybe beginning of July. But, um, I... They killed... Yeah. They killed off Persephone. And, and, and Which is the main was, character, Laws, who finds out that she's Persephone. And I was like, right on, girl. You part of the Wicked and Divine. I love it. But but the thing that got me was that I felt like the, the reasoning and all the... Like, 
if you've given me more of an arc, I would have been good with well, it. Well, what was the reason? I didn't see a reason for murdering her. Um, so... They didn't fully explain stuff, so they yeah. only have theories, right? My theory is that, my only theory was that it was to maintain whatever lie, because that woman, I forget her name now, the woman who's... Yeah, the white goddess. The white goddess woman. I don't trust her. I don't trust a damn thing about her. Yeah. She is full of lies. And, you know, like, like I mean, it is a, a mirror for our society. The white people who are in charge are full of lies. You can't trust them. The thing, the thing that got me was I felt like, you know, because they hinted that, oh, yeah, and so there was the gods and they fought back the evil. Mm-hmm. And I felt like it was a little bit hinted that maybe the reason the evil shows up is if the gods are around too long. Mm. But they didn't really explore that, so it yeah. was like, nope, and she's dead, and you've given me nothing, so. And then killed her parents. parents. <gasps> yeah. I was like, you better give me something else in this next. I was almost ready to go to the store and start buying individuals. I was like, I want to know what happens next now. Yeah. Because I know that they have a full arc planned. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they said it's going to be about 60 issues. So they, they know what's happening. Oh, so there's going to be more stories. Yeah, the, the, oh, I thought I just ended there. I was, like, no, no, no. I was just like, I was just sitting there in emotional shock, like, well, I guess your story got cut short. No, no, no. Fucking that is not the end. Oh, okay, okay. There's more You've to come. You've given me hope. Yes, no, there's okay, more to okay. come. I can continue to, I like, before I was just like, it's good, but, but now, okay, I can roll with this. Yes, no, there are more issues to come. I think they said they're going to be 60 around there in total. And since a lot of their preliminary artwork featured Lucy and Laws, I'm assuming we're going to see both. I mean, both Laws and Lucy are dead, but both of them were underworld gods, like Lucifer and Persephone. Right. So I don't see where death would actually be able to stop them, maybe. It'll be interesting to see where it goes. Um, Their thing is, I did pick up a copy of Splatoon. Yes. The uh, Nintendo game where it's basically a first-person shooter with, like, paint guns. Isn't like Squid Girls, right? Yeah, Squid Girls. So you basically win You win each round by painting the most area. So it's like shooting each other helps a little bit in that it takes them a while to respawn. But meanwhile, it's all about painting the area. And you're using shit like paint rollers or using, like, buckets and squirt guns. And it's... It's a lot of fun, and it's really awesome, and the thing that I like is that it, it half of it is about your fashion. <laughs> so, like, important. like, the fashion you get gets different upgrade, different bonuses, but they didn't, like, say, if you have a hat you like, they're not like, this hat will always have this bonus. You can find this hat again with different bonuses. Okay. So, like, if you want to build an outfit that just looks good, as long as you keep looking, eventually you can find the stuff that has the stats you want and looks the way you want. Nice. So, you know, <coughs> I was pretty down with that. And it, it gives me a lot of um, Jet Set Radio vibes. Mm-hmm. So I'm pretty happy with it. Nice. Um, yeah. Um, and shall we go into our topic? Because we will be going on this topic for a minute. <laughs> oh, our main topic, which is the fantastic cartoon In- that was ended way too soon. Yep. Invader Zim. And it tripped me out to realize it came out in, what, 2000, 2001, I think? Yeah. So this thing is 14 years old. And the first issue of the continuation comic just came out. Really? I yes. didn't know they were making a comic. Yes, okay. they are making a comic. The first issue just came out. Nickelodeon and Jonan Vasquez are working together. I have okay. not had a chance to read it yet. I'm very excited, too. So, since it is 14 years old, we should probably give context in case if... Oh, my God. We got youngins who don't okay. know. In case you don't know, Invader Zim, which is all on YouTube, you didn't hear that from me, 
um, is about a failing little green alien named Zim, who is self-destructive and not very intelligent, um, who... He, he's sent to take over the Earth. He's sent on a death mission. Right. Basically, his leaders send him out into the great beyond, not knowing if there's a planet there, and he runs into Earth. And then he decides to try and conquer it. And it's sort of like, like it's that sort of watch-him-fail entertainment that you get from Pinky and the Brain. Except, unlike Pinky and the Brain, every almost everyone in this series is terrible. Yes. So everyone failing or coming to harm is still worth amusement. Well, and also, Zim is actually a fantastically hilarious character in that he is that sort of deluded character where even when he fails, he convinces himself that that's what he wanted to do in the first place. Yes. So when he fails, like in the episode where he is driving the planet Mars around the solar system, <laughs> and he's decided that he is going to grind the life on Earth out with Mars in like a rollerball fashion, and he ends up destroying Mars... He contacts his leaders and is like, I have good news, the planet Mars has been destroyed. And they're like, but weren't you trying to destroy Earth? And he's like, uh, yes, but this was preliminary. Like, he's got that sort of self-indulgent, like, I'm just going to pretend this is what I wanted to do. So you don't even feel that bad for him, because you're like, you're so self-delusional. Yeah, so you got Zim, you've got his henchman, the Gur. robot Gur, which they basically threw together with a bunch of parts, and... He's a malfunctioning, hilarious robot. Who eats. Who eats. For no apparent reason. Loves to eat. Um, and also has great taglines. Um, he, we, I'm sure we'll quote him throughout the show. But he is fantastic. Um, my, one of my favorites is, Oh, I want it to explode. <laughs> um, Gur is self-destructive in the best I, ways. I think my, one of my favorite ones that I forgot about until I was re-watching was when they showed from Gur's point of view... The cows? From yes, his point of view? Yes! Dance with us, Gur! Dance with us into oblivion! That one! <laughs> I fell out! I fell out because I was, I forgot about that! I was like, wait, what's happening here? What is happening? <laughs> what is Gur's point of view? I was like, this shit is hilarious. I tweeted something about Gur being the best character in Invader Zim for me. Yeah. And uh, so two of the other characters are the only human boy who is trying to thwart Zim, named Dib, who has a giant head, and it's a running joke throughout the show. And Dib is basically your X-Files conspiracy theorist, and the problem is, he's like maybe about 5% correct, right? Like, 5% of the time, he knows exactly what's wrong, but his plan, the other 95%, he's just like... No, I would argue he's right a lot of the time... That's why it's good to watch him fail. Because remember when he's chasing the Bigfoot? That thing that's climbing is clearly not a human child. And it's like, I just want to play in the dirt and eat grubs. <laughs> like, he's clearly sort of on it in some ways. He's wrong a lot, but he's on it in terms of, like, the paranormal stuff. Just no one ever fucking believes him because he goes so crazy over it. Well, I think the other part is also he just has a poor plan to deal yes. with everything. Oh, he has a horrible plan right, all like, the time. Like, like, oh, I have a whole bunch of spell books. How about I experiment on my sister? <laughs> like, So, the point I was getting to when I said I tweeted Girl was my favorite character, I got some pushback, and it was appropriate pushback, okay. because they were like, Gaz. And I would say the only reason Gaz is not my favorite character is because Gaz is not in every episode. Gaz doesn't get enough screen time, which she does not. Sad. 
It's sad. Gaz is Dib's little sister, who is sarcastic and mean and a gamer. And what's the what's one of my favorite lines? But his voice fills me with rage, father. <laughs> it's just like so good. And here's the episode I rewatched that like really kind of sort of hit me was um, the Game Slave Two episode. Yes. Yes. Right? Yes. See, we have a list of best episodes, and I was like, we have to add Game, Game Slave 2. 2. So the Game Slave 2 episode is one of, I think, three episodes where you don't see Zim at all. Right. So it is about Gaz, who plays her Game Slave 1, and Game Slave 2 has come out, and she wants her vampire piggy game. So she wants to go to the mall and get it. And wait in line at midnight. And she has to wait for her... Br- there's a great scene where she decides to go out by herself and her father's like, and she has a huge baseball bat in her hand. And her father's like, wait, you can't go out at night by yourself. It's dangerous. Take your brother. And she's like, but that's what the bat's for. And then he sort of yanks it out of her hand and she's like, aww. <laughs> and so she ends up having to wait because Dib wants to watch Mysterious Mysteries. Mm-hmm. And which makes, means by the time they get there, the line is super long. Right. She sends him on a wild goose chase for, like, rat people in the parking lot. Was it a chupacabra? Chupacabra, that's right. She's like, the chupacabra, and he's like, what? There's a goat near here for miles. Um, and so, here's what I found fascinating about it. This was a great representation of Gamergate men. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, the storyline is basically that the boy behind Gaz, when they get up to the front... They've run out of Game Slaves 2, except for one that is reserved under a different name. The guy behind Gaz, who's named Iggins, lies and says that's his name, so he basically snatches it from Gaz. Right. Gaz spends the remainder of the episode, in her words, plunging him into a hell world. She stalks him at his house. <laughs> because she, And here's the thing why I say he's like a perfect example of Gamergate. Without any sort of evidence... He keeps talking about how he's a better gamer than her, and that's yep. why he deserves this. Yep. He keeps saying, but I'm a better gamer than you. And she's just like, hope you like Hellworlds. Gaz is the creepiest mofo. She's fantastic. I love what at the end when she's like, when she finally gets it, she's floating in a pillar of energy of like, oh, righteous power. <laughs> like, so the whole, and the whole episode, her hair has been slicked down by the rain because it's horribly raining outside. And as soon as she get, he finally gives it to her because they're in an elevator and she's pressed the emergency downward button and is killing them. <laughs> she puts it together. The halo of light comes and her hair pops up perfectly the way it was. And she's right. like, order is restored. <laughs> and she goes on her way playing. <laughs> it is one of the best episodes. I love that shit. It is the, I think it's the only episode without Zim in it that I will watch. Like, the other two without Zim are sort of like, ugh, really? Um, so I need to talk about one of my favorite episodes. Which one? A Plague of Babies. <gasps> a Plague of Babies! So, um... The babies are coming. In this episode, they discover that the house next door... That looks like it has a baby in it. it. It turns out that's not actually a baby. It's an alien that looks like a baby that's taken the baby's place. And there's this whole squad of aliens who look like babies who've been trapped on our planet for seven years. But they still look like babies. So like the, the, the adults in this whole scenario are so stupid and, and like off of it that they're just like, well, of course my child... like. 
it's still a baby. When you go into that house and you see what's his name, Schnookums, yeah, you see his photos and it's like age one, age two, age three, up to seven, and they're all the same. And you're like, what parent would not take their child to the doctor at that point and be like, so it's been seven years, like my child's still a baby. You should be like, there's development that's not happening here, right? And Um, and so, so the aliens uh, basically have been stranded here. Like their their ship took off without them. And people think they're babies, and they're like, crap, we have to get off here. So they're going to try and steal Zim's ship. And it's great because they're basically like little commandos. Like little baby commandos. Okay. And then they form into this horrific... Wait, wait, wait. Okay. Before we get to that, we can't we can't skip one of the best parts, which is the machine that Gurr hooks himself up to. Oh, the one that starts emitting his stupidity Yes. Waves? Gurr hooks himself up, up to his uh, machine that sends out these dangerous waves of stupid, as Zim calls it. But the dark part is that when Zim gets hit, his brain basically goes bye-bye, and he's just sort of drooling on the floor, and his backpack, a robotic voice from his backpack says, initiating, reawakening, or something like that, and, like, zaps him back into being. So, this is on the DVD set. Mm -hmm. They were saying that they were initially thinking that the Urkin's bodies aren't them. Oh, really? backpacks. Interesting. You know, but they said, we didn't really go anywhere with that. But I was like, wow, okay, interesting. Because the thing that cracks me up is that, um, I just, continue, Plague of Babies. I'm not gonna, <laughs> we'll get to that episode when we get to it. Well, it's just the fact that, you know, you have this little baby, I am Space Captain Schmooky, and you're just like, what the fuck is yeah, happening no, here? That's one of the best lines, don't call me Schnookums, that is rude for a captain of the blah, blah, blah people. Well, what's your name? Space Captain Schnooky! What? Yes. <laughs> Excuse me? So then the babies have fangs and claws. Yes. And, then and they, they do the hiss, the hiss and the, like, clawing action. <laughs> yes. And then they form a, like, monstrous conglomerate baby. Whatever you're, th- if you've not seen this episode, whatever you're thinking of, it's worse. <laughs> they look horrible and disgusting, as if babies became Play-Doh and mashed themselves together. Yeah, claymation babies. Claymation babies, yes. Yeah, yeah. With an odd holographic face. Yeah. Um, um, and then the horrificness of how this episode ends. Because this is what Zim does. I feel like this is why I love Invader Zim. It is a fucking dark show. When you think about the episodes to completion, it is dark. Yes, yes. And so the end of this episode is that Zim hooks her up to the machine sends out the wave of stupid on the babies, where they all pop into individual babies, and then slingshots them all back to their own house. So what's going to happen to this species now? Yeah, they're basically permanently, like, lobotomized. Yeah. And, yeah. Even if we give them, like, an alien physiology, maybe they'll learn again, maybe they've just been restarted. They don't know that they're not human now. Right. So they're going to start to learn, and then they're not going to grow, and then they're going to realize something's fucked up. It's just, it leads to horrific consequences, and that's why I love that show. The other episode on that note? What? Do you remember Bestest Friend? (gasps) Oh my god. Keith? Keith? K-E-E-F? Keith? Spelled to rhyme with beef? (laughs) (laughs) So, in this episode, Sim decides he needs a best friend to look more human. And chooses Keith through horrible experiments. Um, but the part that I love is when Gurr is making the cake. Because Keith has died, decided to give Zim a surprise party. And Zim is like, Gurr, 
What are you doing? Nothing. Nothing or something. Um, you're too smart for me. <laughs> it's the best, and he just gives it up. That and boy, that boy loves you so much. <laughs> it is ridiculous. It is. But the best part is that Keith is told, that whole episode is is done in a, like, thriller, killer yes. movie fashion. Like, killer movie Keith fashion. Is just showing up all the time, and it's creepy yes, as Keith, fuck. Keith is calling Zim, and in the middle of the call, another line beeps in, and somehow it's Keith again. Like it's that very much single white female sort of film, right? Where Zim is just like, "Okay, creepy, I've chosen the wrong person," <laughs> and then how he ends it, which we don't directly see. We just see a silhouette. We see a silhouette of this child getting his eyes plucked out. <laughs> and some other thing and replaced slammed by what in looks like cybernetic mind control eyes or something. <laughs> that's like episode two. They that's replace, episode two. That's how they. That's how they start you on this shit. They replace a child's eyes. <laughs> this Nickelodeon had no fucking idea what it was getting with this show, and to this day, I think that's one of the reasons that it ended up being canceled is because Jonan wanted to take it in the way that Invader Zim should go. Yeah. And Nickelodeon just was too nervous about it. Right. Oh, um, God. Should we just continue jumping around some of these best episodes? Um, yeah, sure. Rise of Zip Boy. Rise of the Zip Boy. So, it's an important episode. M- my life has become a hideous montage of degradation <laughs> and shame. So, so Zim... The best part about like Zim as a series is basically all adolescence and childhood, except twisted because he's an alien. Yes. And so, through some shit going down, he gets a zit. Him being an alien, zits are not a thing that they get. So he's like, what the fuck is this? Mm-hmm. And he's watching this ridiculous commercial for some acne cream that has basically like some sort of superhero robot acne cream thing. Yes. And the, the, the kid who gets the zit is saying that my life is a montage. <laughs> he goes... Yesterday I was normal. Now I have a pimple. And the whole, like, school screams. Yes, and, like, it zooms in on him in that really fucked up way. And then he's like, now my life is just a hideous montage of degradation and shame. And then you see the, like, zit cream commander, whatever, like, like zap his hands with electricity and punch the kid in the face. You hear this horrific, bloody, pulpy explosion. And, and it's green. And he's on the ground holding his face screaming in pain. <laughs> and you're like, wait, this is a good thing? <laughs> I just, yeah, it's a lot. Um, but then, so, the thing is, Zim doesn't just get a pimple. His pimple is this massive basketball-sized thing growing off the side of his face, and every time it jiggles, it hypnotizes people. Yes. So he decides he's going to use this to control the world. And he, wait, draws a face on it. He draws a face on it and gives it a little suit to disguise it. And calls it Pistulio. <laughs> Pistulio. Calls it Pistulio. <laughs> he, call, he gave a name to his head and he called it Pistulio. <laughs> Why the fuck? Pistulio. <laughs> Number one, Pistulio hates you. <laughs> um... 
frolicking dirt child. Look yes. at Postulio. Now, let me tell you, when all of those kids fell from the jungle gym, this scene will always make me laugh. I'm in pain. It is as Postulio wishes. Does Postulio wish for me to pop my spine back in place? Fine, fine, very well. (laughs) (laughs) The contempt that Zim has for the life and health of his classmates. Oh, Postulio, tell Postulio what he wants to know. I'll let you hold his little hand. (laughs) It's some of the best. Oh, it's some of the best, most twisted cartoons ever. Oh, my God. Door to door. Door to door, which I think is both of our favorites. uh, One of our favorites for a number of reasons, but especially for the line of... Oh, there's so many lines in it. I'm thinking of, why is his head so big? Why is his head so big? Like we said, Dib's head size is a running joke throughout the series. So in Door to Door, they decide they're going to send the kids <laughs> to go sell chocolate to raise funds for the school. And Dib brings up the excellent question you've asked if you've ever had to sell shit for your school. Because as they're going to buy new desks, and people are sitting on shit like abandoned crates, open trash cans with rats jumping out and biting the children in the <laughs> face. Like, like... And Dib asks this question, why don't they just take the money that they spent on the chocolate and prizes and buy new desks? Right? And the teacher, Ms. Bears, is like, that wasn't covered in the video. <laughs> and you're just like, really? So, so um, the number one. But, but the video they have. Is Poop Dog. Right, right. They have the mascot, which is some dude in a giant dog suit with, like, hip-hop gold chains all over his shit called Poop Dog for Poop Cola. Yes! Poop <laughs> Dog in the fuck. But the best, the best part is when he's halfway through explaining something, he's, he's like, yo, biggity blow your... I can't do this anymore. <laughs> and I believe that in that moment they kill him and that they put another person in that suit. I firmly believe that. Yes, so poop dog. <laughs> and then they go selling the candies. Which is mostly sawdust. Yes. <laughs> Which comes up repeatedly. Yes. Whenever anyone eats the damn candy, it and starts having a terrible coughing fit. And Zim's like, mm-hmm, that's the sawdust. Like, <laughs> what are you doing? Um, so, there's just a number of things that Zim does in this episode that are twisted. But when he finally decides to start selling candy the Irkin way, by putting horrible masks on people and plunging They're like VR masks. And he slams people into VR hellscapes and says, this is what your future will be. Unless you buy my candy. (laughs) And all of them just go, we'll buy your candy, we'll buy your candy. Oh my god. The horrible poop dog. That is still one of the best episodes. Um, Gurr dressed up as Zim's little brother. Please buy my candy. And then his or my head little... falls off, right? Like his head falls off, and that's why the old woman who has a bat behind her back is ready to beat the shit out of him for daring to try and sell her candy. This is why she says yes, and then chokes on the sawdust. Well, I love the fact that there's so much imp- like even if they don't get there, the implied violence against children. Like, like the Lice episode, they fill the school with landmines to prevent the children from escaping. Like, what in the fuck? That Lice episode was dark. I mean, like, damn. (laughs) Oh my god, Lice. Oh, hold on. I think there's a... 
there's a, probably a quote. Oh, no. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I'm looking at quotes I wrote down, but I think we've covered a good portion of this. Yeah. Um, the Halloween episode. Yeah, I was going to say, before we stop covering the best episodes, we have to hit the two holiday episodes. Yes. Which are the spectacular, what is it, the spectacular special of Spooky Doom, I want to say? Halloween Ooh. spectacular Spooky Doom and yeah. the most horrible Christmas ever. Both of these are fantastic. They're both uh, double the length, which means right. they're half-hour episodes. Right. Um, in the Halloween one... <laughs> okay, I keep saying this, but still, still, it's amazing. In the Halloween one, um, Gurr... Not Gurr, sorry. Zim is frightened by the description of Halloween. He implies... He basically believes they are blood candy zombies that are going to be coming for his blood candies. Yes. So he's freaking out in class. Meanwhile, Dib comes in muttering to himself, screaming, and disappearing and reappearing, but no one catches him disappearing and reappearing. They just see him freaking out. And they just think he's crazy. So the moment where they're having the debate over who is crazier in the class, and they're like, well, Dib's screaming like a howler monkey. The letter Z has a good point. Back you had a child named the letter Z, right? (laughs) And then it was Zeta. And this is the line I always remember. When Zeta raises her hand and says, Miss Bitters, can we use one of our crazy cards to send Dib to the crazy house for boys? Are you sure, Zeta? Each class only gets three crazy cards a month. Three a month. <laughs> they send three children to the crazy house at least a month. And, and, they, and they have to conserve it. Right. They have to fucking, like, ration it. Are you sure? The fact that the teacher warned her. If you use it now, you might be sorry later. When you, when you really need it. When you really need it this month. <laughs> the other part was there was another episode where some kid... They're like, okay, you're gonna go to the underground classroom, and if oh my god, the pit just opened up, and (laughs) someone else is like, is there even really an underground classroom? (laughs) And she's like, Like, yeah, whatever. Oh my god, so that... But that's worse, because you realize they have the potential of throwing any kids out, and they've got the crazy (laughs) cards, and it's still not enough. It's still not enough. And so Dib, it turns out, had tried to look into other dimension and has been flashing between our dimension and a horrible dimension, which it turns out exists in his gigantic head. And And the monsters want to be out into our world through his head. Yes. Oh my god. So him and Zim get captured in there, and it's just horrible moment after horrible moment. But what's also interesting is, given how twisted, like, the general character designs in this are also pretty weird to start with. Yeah. And then they do the horrific Halloween Nightmare World versions of everyone. Oh my god. So, remember when the leader monster who looks like Miss Bitters transforms into her form, and the other monsters are like, ew. <laughs> the other monsters are like, oh, what the hell I like, I like how there's, like, the inferno that they toss the monsters into, and they play this sad sort of, like, he's going away. And they, play, like, they put on a little hat, and a little... He's like, bye, guys. It's so sad. Um, and Gurr, meanwhile, is back on Earth, savaging the children and stealing their candy, and turning into this huge... Mountain of a person, um, like Robot where he takes up the eating. Yeah, he yes. takes up the whole cul-de-sac, so that when Dib and Zim escape into our world, and the monster follows them, when it sees Gur and the damaged 
children that he's left behind. It is so scared that it retreats back into its horrible nightmare world of Dib's head. That's just a great Halloween episode. Yeah, yeah. Simpsons can't compete with that. Don't get me wrong, I love The Simpsons, but, or up to a point. But, you know, even The Simpsons Halloween episodes, you're lucky if you get one or two good ones out of it. Yeah. Yeah. And the most horrible Christmas ever. I'm trying to think of a way to describe this that won't take an extra half an hour in context. It is Zim in a Santa suit that is slightly self-aware and robotic, and so has internalized Christmas, and is trying to turn him into Santa, while he's just trying to use it to take over the world. Meanwhile, Div's father, Professor Membrane, <laughs> Professor has a Membrane. personal vendetta against Santa, and has built an entire island of weapons and shit like a giant mech suit, to go destroy Santa. Yeah, to go make sure that he is done. Um, now, the genius of this episode, of which there's much, is number one... They play up all the tropes of the old school, like, claymation, um, uh, what was it? What was the company that would always do those? Like the Oh, the, I don't remember the, the name of the like, company. They did the Rudolph. And the did, Snowman. Yeah, yeah. They yeah. did Frosty. They did all those, and so basically they're having it told like a story with this robotic version of Frosty. Yeah. Talking to these children. Oh my god. Talking to these children who are listening to this horrible story of this Santa suit. Um, I mean, there's the song. Oh god, the, the be crushed between my boots of doom. Bow down, <laughs> bow down. Before the terror of Santa, or be crushed, be crushed by his jolly boots of doom. And they give you the bouncing ball yes. so you can, so sing, you can along. sing along at home and follow yes. along. Now, that's fantastic. The girl who's like, and number one, they put it as if the earth, basically they conglomerate Santa and Jesus. Um, because the whole earth has been waiting for Santa's return. Right. So when Zim shows up, there's the one woman who's being interviewed who's like, my heart bursts with joy! And then <laughs> she falls over dead! That's the best part! It's the best thing ever. Um, so Zim is eventually, like, the machine tries to take him over, he fights it off, launches it into space. At which point you find out that the sort of container story for all this, the framing story... Of the robot Frosty telling the children... is like two million years in the future. Yes. And how the Santa robot returns every year to attack them, so they must raise the dome on Christmas. Right. (laughs) It is dark. Um, And of course, there's the great moment with the Frosty robot, where they're talking about the suit taking over Zim. The little child's like, the the mechanisms of the Santa suit elude me. (laughs) And he just picks her up. Picks her up like like a little like pillow and just puts her under the chair. Just, just like, slides, slides her under, under the chair. Like, now, <laughs> and continues on with the yes. story. Oh my god! All right, Zim is so good. Zim's amazing. Uh, let's see. Uh, are we gonna hit the disturbing moments a bit? Yeah, we can totally hit the disturbing moments. You've got oh my god! There's so many of these. Um, here I'll hit one. Uh, the children being absorbed into Bloaty the Pizza Hog. <sighs> Bloaty the Pizza Hog. Now, b- no, <laughs> Bloaty the Pizza Hog. So, so they have this mascot, Bloaty the Pizza Hog, this giant pig that sells pizza. What's this dude in a suit? 
and on the commercial, the children are kind of crawling and playing on top of them, mm-hmm. and they just sort of amorphously absorb in and slide out other areas with no explanation. <laughs> it's one of those things that I feel like in any other show, I would have been like, oh, this is fat shaming and problematic. In this show, I was just like, this is such a, this show is horrific. Everything is horrific. And people merge. And Okay, so can we talk about, I wrote something on here. It was the moment that I was surprised. Yes, in Gaz Taster of Pork. There's this moment, which Gaz Taster of Pork is the episode where um, Yellow Peril mentioned it a little bit before, where Dib has these spell books. And he ends up casting a spell called the Senses of the Shadow Hog on his sister. Which causes every single thing she eats to taste like pork. Yes. Water, ice cream, anything. As she says, everything tastes like a pig. (laughs) The only thing which tasted normal was hot dogs (laughs) because it was already pork. Now, see, there's a part of me that I was like, you know what, but you are doing it wrong here, Gas, because there's bacon, there's pork chops. I get that you're, you know... But you don't have to stick to hot dogs right now. But. When Dib goes to this, like, random homeless guy and is He's talking like in to him. a cafe. In a diner. like, a hobo. Right? Yes. And the hobo's like, well, I remember when I cursed my sister with, like, the horrible. Only thing I could do was go to this horrible realm and make it undone. And Dib's like, that's a great idea. I'll do that. And then the hobo gets up to leave. Sort of walks towards the door, pauses at the door, and then literally just quickly grabs a man who's sitting at the counter, puts him over his shoulder, and runs out. And it is just a second. And it was, I watched, when I, re- I didn't catch it until I rewatched it this time, and I was like, what just happened? Did this man just get kidnapped? He was just in there eating cake at the diner. Yes. And now he's gone. It was not okay. Yes. Um, disturbing. Uh, Dark Harvest. I just actually, so I rewatched that, um, I, w- I went to pick us up food when I was here, so while I was waiting for the food to get ready, I rewatched Dark Harvest on my phone. <laughs> oh my god. So, so in this episode, uh, they were doing, like, weren't they doing, like, health tests or no, something? No, 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 it's a pigeon flies in and lands on Zim's head, and the teacher's like, you, yes, you've got head pigeons, you've gotta go. Dib knows that Zim does not have human organs, because when... Zim gets hit with that dodgeball. He's like, oh, oh my squealy spooch. Yeah. Yeah. To which Dib's like, you hear that? Humans don't have squealy spooches. And Gaz is like, I have a squealy spooch, which is one of Gaz's fantastic moments. Um, and he basically, when Zim's going to the nurse, Dip says that since you don't have human organs, she'll find out and you'll get an autopsy right, okay. and all this. And so, so... Zim decides the way to solve this is to get human organs and implant them in, inside Wait, wait, wait. But not implant. Not implant. He just eats them. This is what's implied later. He just puts them in his mouth. Because he's now, after a while, he's got all these organs in him, and he's replacing them with random shit. So meanwhile, there are human children flopping around, and Dib is x-raying them and seeing that one of them has, like, a ruler for a spine now, another one has a kitten for a liver, like, and they're just, like, in the cafeteria dying, and Dib's like, it's not even ketchup and rice day. <laughs> I forgot about that. Yes. Wasn't there an episode where they had a food fight, they're like, no, <laughs> yeah, they're <laughs> <laughs> and they're like, no, 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 they're like,
like some shit goes down here. Ah, here's Zeta. No, that is. <laughs> see, this is why I rewatched all of them. That's Gaz Taster of Pork. When she gets pissed in the cafeteria, she grabs the mashed potatoes and holds them over Div like she's gonna put them in his eyes. Screaming, and he's like, "No, no! Remember what happened to Zeta?" And then they zoom in on her with that one thing over her eyes. She's all and he's like, no, if you do it to me, I'll never be able to fix it. And she's like, fine. And she throws it off to the side, and that's when you hear Zeta scream, and they go, no, Zeta! <laughs> oh, God. Oh. That, But um, Dark Harvest is just a dark, dark episode. And the reason I say he swallows the, the organs is that when Dib confronts him in the cafeteria, he's sitting on this bench, he's huge oh. now, he's bloated with these organs, and he opens his mouth to say something, and an Organ intestine swallow. rolls out, <laughs> and he slurps it back in like a spaghetti noodle. And I'm like, he's just eating the organs. He's not even putting them in his body. Oh my god! Do you remember the last episode when it's like uh, with Melvin? Melvin, the um, the the kid who gets like who gets sliced first. It's like like so basically they're trying to this. The life situation is basically like aliens. They mm. lock down the whole school. This woman who is, like, this, like, intense scientist warrior is basically there to get rid of them all. And she's and, hunting. Right, she's hunting. And, like, Div hears what she's trying to do, and he says to Melvin, Melvin, she's gone mad before. <laughs> and Melvin turns and looks at her. Melvin's a character who's slightly spacey and out of it. And he goes, do you mean Crazy. And when he says that there's like the multitudes of voices behind him. Yes. And even Dan is like taking two steps back. <laughs> yeah. To each other. Yes. It's like, oh, uh, yeah. Oh my god. It's things like that where they don't explain what just happened there. <laughs> no, you just had a moment and you're like, okay. Or um, the school election episode. Oh my god. Where the girl who is the school president is on stage and says, you know, we are the greatest school, and that makes us great, and we have school spirit, and blah, 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 in a very robotic way. And then she sort of pauses and is like, the bathrooms, if I could make one thing, request, like, basically she's requesting people keep the bathrooms clean, and she, like, short circuits, and they're like, the school president has suffered a lack of school spirit. Elections will be held for the new one. And didn't they, like, snatch her off stage? They snatch her off stage, real quick. Not, not uh, disturbing, but still one of my favorite things is... It's President Man from President, President Land. Land. <laughs> I love shaking. Um, oh my god. I Well, the President Land from President Man. President Man from President Land, which is in the episode... Um, That's the one with the movie. little girl gets her foot stuck. Yeah, right? the Girl Scout gets her foot stuck. I love that what convinces President Man to listen to Dib is that he has chocolate Ninja Star cookies stuck in the back of his head. And he's like, this delicious boy has come up with a new plan. I love President Man. He's ridiculous. Dib's dad and the family neglect. Oh my god. So the family, Dib's family, the father thinks he's crazy. The poor, insane son. But he uh, was totally willing to subject Gaz to scientific experimentation for the rest of her life as well. For the rest of, as Pig Girl. And made her wear a pig nose. Right. That was worse. It wasn't bad enough that she was Pig Girl and had to live in, like, this floating bubble thing. He had the gall to have her put on a pig nose. And put her on TV. And put her on TV. And called her Pig Girl. Professor Memory, it's also, like, stuff like, well, I thought, why hasn't anyone created a, a solution to the world's energy problems? Why? Why? <laughs> well, I have. 
either fix all of our world's energy problems or destroy us all. And I'm like, um... <laughs> I didn't agree to this. Right. Um, Professor Membrane, uh, there's also the fact that the neglect is so deep that the people who work with Membrane call Dib and Gas the professor's roommates. They don't call them, they're like, not as children, they're like, you're the professor's roommates, right? Like, it's this horrible thing. Where is their mother? Yeah. It's never, ever, ever addressed in any way, shape, or form throughout this series. Right. Um, maybe I need to watch a bunch of the commentaries to see. I don't remember anything. Because I don't, yeah, I don't remember anything about the mother. Um, I'm fascinated to see what happened. Right. <laughs> maybe the comic book will let us know. Oh, God. And you got one here that I don't remember, which I need to... Dib ship committing suicide. The dib ship committing suicide. Okay, so this is the episode. It's after Tack the Hideous New Girl. Right. And it's when Dib has the ship. He's right. got Tack's ship, right? right? Right, Except that it's implanted with Tack's personality. So it's attacking him. Right. He figures if he can download his personality into the ship, then the ship will be much more friendly. Dumb idea, Dib. We're used to this from you. Right. Um, but, you know, it's... Considering what he has to work with, it's not like Tack was using the ship. It had her personality. If I want to use the ship, it should have mine. Yeah. Except that he's human. So when it does download his personality, the ship believes he is Dib. Right. And so he trans. Do you remember it now? He transforms himself into this robotic version of Dib. I remember that. I just don't remember how that ended. So it ends with um, basically Zim sees that he's. Um, that he's Urkin technology and takes him over. Right. And has him pick up Dib and run them through the city and is going to have the ship dump Dib in, like, the city cesspool. Right. And meanwhile, Dib is saying, no, remember all the times we had? Remember our fifth birthday when we captured this? Remember that? And da-da-da. And finally, right, right when he's on the crane about to jump Dib off, the ship's like, wait, I remember. I'm a loser. I have a horrible life. I don't have any friends. And Dib's like, that's kind of harsh. And the ship's like, well, the only answer is to delete my memory and just cease to exist. Because I can't live this way any longer. And so slowly, the ship is going through verbalizing, saying, there's my eighth birthday going. There's this time. While Dib is trapped in its arms and listening to his life being deleted. Because the ship is like, that's just a sad life. I can't roll with that. Wow. That was, I watched it and I was like, what is, wait, I forgot. Holy fucking shitballs. You just had this child. Dib endures a lot. He does. And you know what? The one thing you can give Dib is that Dib believes in himself. That's Even true. when no one else does, Dib believes in himself. Oh, oh God. Yeah, so Invader Zim. Really, it's worth watching. It's... Like, Totally silly. It's totally silly. You can buy them on DVD. They're also on... Um, Are they on Blu-ray now? I don't know. They're on YouTube. Yeah. Um, I own the DVDs. This is why I... This is why I think it's fine to have some shows on YouTube. Because I have the DVDs. I love the DVDs. I did not want to dig the DVDs out. Yeah, I was <laughs> like, I know where one of mine is. I have to figure out the other two. And right? Like, yeah. I was like, I don't need to dig these out right now. Oh, it's on YouTube. I'll just watch them all here. Yeah. Um, so that was fantastic. I love Invader Zim. I think it's one of the best cartoons that Nickelodeon did. Um, I think it's a shame that they canceled it. I think one of the things that's really interesting is because it came out after Ren and Stimpy, and mm -hmm. even though it has some gross moments, 
it's not primarily gross humor. No. And it's a lot of it's really just, like, intense humor mocking society. Well, like, and it's also dark. Yeah. It's got a very dark, like, dark humor feel to it. And I think that after Ren and Stimpy, Nickelodeon was really gun-shy. Um, yeah. Ren and Stimpy was another cartoon that was just like, woo, when adults saw that, they were just like, what the fuck are you showing our kids? Well, it's like, Invader Zim, like, Ren and Stimpy went for sexual jokes a lot, yeah. too. Invader Zim doesn't do that. It's no. all pretty much, like, sci-fi for geeky stuff along with dark social commentary. Real dark social commentary. Um, basically, the world is a place that none of us want to live. It's a horrible place. And that is what Invader Zim sort of teaches us episode after episode. Oh, God. Yeah. So, are we done talking about Zim? Yeah. Shall we go well, to Why Must It Be? Let's, is- <laughs> let's finish with our favorite Zim quote. Oh, but you're asking a lot of me right now at this uh, point. All right, fine. Um, let's do, well, let's continue in future episodes to go into uh, favorite Zim quotes. Okay. we can mine that forever. <laughs> that is very true. And on that note, Why Must It Be is literally based off of a Zim quote. It is based off of a Zim quote. <laughs> because when he first comes to Earth and he tries to use the human disguise machine, he's like, ah, it hurts. Why must it be? <laughs> Which makes you wonder, why Why did you guys make the machine hurt you? <laughs> like you did just to be an asshole. He also sees... He also says it during the wetting episode, when the water finds out water burns him and hurts him, and he's like, why must it be? <laughs> so that's where that thing comes from. Uh, do you want to go first, or do you want me to go first? Uh, you can go first. Okay, so my ranty rant is about native folk in fantasy works. Mm. Now here's the thing. I am American. As much issues as I have with America, I know my American history. Um, I would like to see stories set in American history. I like to see that. The same way that I think people like to see stuff set in Victorian times. You like some historical fiction. I love some historical fiction. I like historical fiction that does not pretend that there were not... They need to acknowledge that there were problems in the past. Right. Um, So my issue is that I... You see this, and it's not large enough to be a subgenre yet, I think. But it's weird West. It's sort of, it's coming out a lot more. People who are doing the West um, with magic, who are doing the West with steampunk, who are doing the West with, like, something else. Yeah. And so I'm like, all right, you know, I like like some Westerns. Um, People like to ignore the fact that, you know, 75% of cowboys were black or some huge number like that. But you know what? Fine. Maybe it was 25%. Either way. Well, there's also, if, if it wasn't that, the rest was like what people now call Latino. Even though it's like, guess what? Guess who was living here? Exactly. So it's like, cowboys were not white. Yeah. So let's just put that aside right away. Um, and I am just fucking annoyed with the way most, not all, because there are people who handle this well. But um, most don't. But most don't. Like, here, here's one of the two ways that I've found that people, that white people handle it. Let's just say what yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. You either try and erase the natives in some odd, fucked up way. Like, they were never in America, or, you know, that's just basically it. Like, and that was... Or, I've seen one. 
They all stepped out into another dimension through magic, Ooh. leaving the land for you to take. Because oh, as a blessing for your whiteness. Yeah. No, I have not read that. And I. Ooh. Yeah. Um, I've ta- I think I've talked about this on the show. There one one. Um, there was a big thing about Patricia Reed's uh, Across the Great Divide or Thirteen uh, something. Uh, yeah. Where he, shall we name that quote? What was the most it? horrific quote? So, so the thing was, um, you know, when it came out that she was making this this book, uh, you know, the book had come out, and basically she wanted to do an alternate history where there were no Native Americans mm-hmm. on the continent. And when she, the people found that uh, she was having discussions, asking, you know, she was doing research in order to write this, and she said, "What would native? What would America be like without the Native Americans to pre- to prepare the land for human habitation?" To prepare the land for, for human habitation. habitation. Yeah. Okay? That's one. Paul Park does the basically the same thing in his Princess of Romania series. I'm pretty sure I've mentioned that. Where the native folk are blonde hair and blue eyed because Roanoke disappears in them. And all of a sudden, they're white natives who are cannibals. Uh, um, there's a role-playing game called Into the West. Oh. Which is the mix of steampunk, cowboys, and wuxia. Mm-hmm. And when people ask, well, what's up with the natives? They said, well, we're not including natives because we don't think we could write that correctly. So, wait, you could write Chinese people correct? Like, you can't hire some native folk? If you are that sure that you could not write some native folk, you couldn't hire some? The other, in the other way they do it is, um, and this is when I find when white people are trying to be politically correct and trying to be right about it and trying to be good, is they include some tribes... The no, never mind. They don't include tribes. Usually, it's just native. They never really give you a tribe. If they give you a tribe, they're actually going a step further than most people do. Right. If they've done the research to give you a tribe and maybe a language, you're like, hey, you went further than a lot of people. I shouldn't. Ha- I shouldn't cheer you on for this. But sadly, in our society, this is actually a step beyond. Um, they will often just sh- have a native person show up. They're very rarely a main character, or even a secondary character, and then they will be like, it'll be that whole um, wise sort of native thing that gives advice. Like, he knows the land better than... Like, there are ways to say, hey, this character has lived in this area for 20 years, so he knows this... It's not mystical. Exactly. It's not a mystical connection. Like, I would love it if you had a moment where they were... He's like, oh, shit, you know, we should probably go. It's gonna rain. And have one of the white characters go, oh, did you sense it? And he's like... No, there are clouds the fuck over there. Like, what the hell? You look up. Like, that's what I would love. But often they'll, like, give some, like, esoteric advice that's, like, in riddles that are, like, you know, the the earth is cracking to the north and you, and, like, some bullshit like that while threatening you. Usually they're holding a gun on you while they're giving you advice. So they're giving you the scary native and also the the helpful magical native. The helpful magical native rolled into one. Not a human. Um, and it just fucking annoys the shit out of me. Well, what also gets me is the fact that so many of these authors claim they're about history. Yeah. And it's like, if you're about history, did none of these nations on this damn continent interest you? Really? Like, you're not interested in any of them that you couldn't be bothered to read? Well, and especially if you're giving me an alternate world where these native folks have been in communication with the colonizers, for a while. Right. So why... Cultural drift happens in both directions. If 
the native people have been in contact, the people they would send to talk to the colonizers are not these people who can't speak English or would speak right. broken English. You have specific people who would be the translators, who would Sorry, be the I'm negotiators. Just flashbacks to anger about the Daredevil series. Oh. Daredevil TV series. I didn't even watch it. After you and a bunch of other people were like, nope, I was like, alright, I'm not I'm not going for it. I'll hold off. But to yeah, the yeah, it's just this whole thing of like, yeah, let's why would you send the person who can't really speak the language? Like, that doesn't make any sense. Like, why wouldn't you send your lawyer? <laughs> they had lawyers. They have lawyers. They have, and that's the thing. Um, I'm not going to name the book I'm reading because while it may have strayed into that just a tiny bit, it's not worth the full on black. I haven't yet. finished it yet. Yeah, and I feel that they're doing something that they might be doing something. I'm trusting them enough to like feel that they're building up to something where the native people are actually like, because the point of view we're getting is a sheltered person. Okay. So I'm like, okay, I can accept this as a sheltered person's viewpoint. She's supposed to grow. Let's see where it goes. Right. But it just, having even seen a little bit of that, just triggered a little something in me where I was just like, I'm really tired of having these old Western stories in which there are no Native folk, or the Native folk are like spiritual guides for the white people. And they do this to every single race of people that aren't white. Yeah. Whenever we show up in media, we are the helpful person. Number one, we prepared our land for you. You're, you're either a villain or a servant. You're a villain That's or really. a servant. Not and sometimes not even a servant as much as a tool, a tool, or, or, or like a, a myth to be used. A tool, like <clears throat> I hate not even that. Like almost like a blessing from God. Like you are a tool that God sent. Your only existence is to be used. Is to be used specifically to help this white person, specifically for them. Well, like, I'm, I'm also people. thinking of the sexually objectified characters as well. <coughs> mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. yeah. I there's an author that I have mad fucking beef with, who is not a science fiction author at all. He's a mainstream literary fiction author. Uh, he taught at one of my schools, and his book I had to read a section of it. It pissed me the fuck off because it's a, one of those books about like a white man going to Africa, uh-huh. and like. One of the lines is something about how all the African women wanted to sleep with him because he was so, like, pale. He has, like, a fucking MacArthur Genius Grant, which just goes to show you how much you should respect awards in life and in literary stuff. But I've gone on too long. I'm just saying, if you really want to write the West, don't even have to... you don't even have to research everywhere. You Pick a place. There's only so many people there. And just look up some history and just, talk to people. You could just research one tribe that lived in that right. area and be like, this is the tribe that like my people had the main uh, communication with. Right. Shit. Aliette de Baudard did massive amounts of research to write three books set in 16th century Aztec land. And then felt each Aztec land. Woof. Um, Aztlan. Sorry about that. But then... At the end of each book, she wrote shit about, like, her research, so you could go back and check it. Here are the things I changed for story. Here are the things I didn't change. I wanted there to be a woman here, so I shifted culture. Like, she changed shit and let you know why she changed it, which I appreciated. Yeah. These people who take these fucking, like, take our cultures and then decide that they're going to make them into something else, um, and it's one of those things that it's also, it's one of the things that really annoys me when you do get some people writing POC characters, right? the way that they give us magical powers or show us to be magical are to show us involved in religions that we actually have. Right. 
Like, guess what? That's not a fantasy story. Like, it would be really interesting, and I know some anime does this, but it'd be interesting to see what would happen if someone did an other version of Christianity. Right? You know, Some anime does it really well. And it's one thing to show, like, a person doing a specific, like, ritual and then having contact with, like, a god or something spiritual. That can veer into fantasy territory, right. for sure. But there are these stories where all it is is, is a person of color doing a ritual. Right. And it's like... No, but we just do that. Like, that's a belief. Like, you wouldn't just, a story, there wouldn't just be a story in The New Yorker that was, like, someone doing the Stations of the Cross. Right. Because that's just someone doing the Stations of the Cross. Like, that's all it right. is. Right. We are not exotic, exotified things here for your, like, to make your piece more exotic or to make you look more happy or to make you look more PC or whatever the fuck you want to say. I'm just tired of it. Write the West, write alternate West, but do it well. Research. Like, I know. Why, why do you like the West if you want this West with no people of color? What's it say about you? Right? You know? I know people can do it well because I've read it done well. I've read white yeah. people who've done it well. In a certain way, I feel like maybe this Wild West fantasy is basically like the, South, the white South Africaner's view of oh, Africa. Mm hmm. You mm -hmm. know, you want this history where you don't exist. Yes. Yeah. I can see that. Yeah. So, anyway, that's my sort of like. You know, meandering rant. So, uh, like two weeks ago, or maybe it was a week and a half ago, there was an article that came out that um, was basically talking about uh, Attack on Titan. Okay. Um, I did not the, see this. It was an okay, you know, it wasn't like a very deep article. Okay. But basically, I'll give you the point. So, mm -hmm. so this person was basically talking about how Attack on Titan has something like, I think they said 21 million books sold. Woo! Yeah, 21 million volumes of Attack on Titan have been sold in English, I believe. How? Holy fucking shit. Right, and so they're basically like, okay, so this is selling lots and lots of books. But, and they were looking at various comic book industry publications or sites, and they're like, no one's talking about this. Nope. This is a comic that's selling fuck tons Meanwhile, they're talking about, you know, some U.S. comic, like, maybe it was one of the Avengers crossovers or something, and they're like, it's amazing, it sold a million copies, and they're like, yes, a million copies in this day and, you know, day and age of hardbacks, you know, of hard, you know, like, actual print instead of just online, is really good for comics, but they're like, that's fine, but why aren't you talking about this? Why aren't you talking about Attack on Titan, which has sold 21 million? Right, and it's like, it's like, this has been the poem for American comics for a long time, is they... The industry doesn't know how to deal with manga. Mm -hmm. And I remember, like, I remember when I was 16, I went to a comic book store and I was buying, you know, this was before manga had really gotten to the U.S. Mm -hmm. in a big way. Like, there was, there was small companies doing translations. Like, yeah. Dark Horse had just started translating some, and, you know, some indie companies. And so I'd be buying that. And, you know, the store owner, he was basically like, why would anyone want to buy comics in black and white? It's never really going to take off. And, you know... It's funny because it's like, yeah, but on the other hand, what you don't see is the fact that these comics all have the same author and same writer for the continuity. Yeah. Which you weren't getting in the U.S. comics. You still don't get in the U.S. comics. What you get with manga is an arc. You get a storyline. Not saying all of them are good arcs or all of them are good storylines. That's any story, any genre, any sort of entertainment is going to be that. But when you get a good arc... You get the same creative talent, you get the same thought behind it, and you get, like, a f some of the short ones are 20 fucking books. Right. Like, you get, and each of those books is, like, 100 pages, you basically get, like, 
you can two thousand pages some of there story, like three books. Yeah, or even there's some there one book. But the fact is, is basically you could do a long twenty or hundred volume thing and have the same creative team and actually. You know, you know, I'm mean, not saying there isn't creative uh, editorial pressures, but it's not the same as U.S. No. And so it's it's interesting and sad to me how much the big two still can't deal with this. No. And it's like, like, I remember when they, like, I remember Marvel tried to do their manga verse, and it's like, <sighs> okay, you took I the art. I have of those. I, I did too. And it's <laughs> like, okay, you took the art and you took some tropes, but you don't understand what makes this work. No. You know, and it's like... Look, okay, this never has to be the kind of comics you do, but you should respect them. You know, just like, like, this has been the beef people had whenever Disney would, like, rip off of, like, Tezuka. They'd be like, okay, it's fine, just acknowledge him, right? Like, he's a fellow creator who paved the way, just acknowledge him. Like, that's it, that's all people are saying. It's like, here are people making comics that are covering the world and doing amazing things, it's not just because of titties, but because there's actually some good story or good art, you know, going on. And in fact, most of the manga audience now is actually women. So, you know, it's sort of like people are doing comics, they're consistently putting out, and they're hitting a market you neglected. Well, and also let's talk about the fact that there were queer storylines and queer comics in manga years ago. before. Decades ago. That there is a whole... That the genre has a name. Yeah. That, like, you can go... Yaoi is there, and it's been there for decades. And so has Yuri. And so has Yuri, and so has all of that stuff. That, like, the queer existence has been there for decades. Right. And comics are just now allowing us... They don't even want to see... They don't want to show you two queer characters kiss. They'll show you them getting married... And yeah. maybe a pack, but you they won't Especially show you a bad. Make a big issue of it. Exactly, but they're not going to show you what like some of the Yuri or some of the Yao will show you. Which well, is like, well, we don't need them to get that. Raunchy, we don't need them to get I mean, that raunchy. But I'm saying yeah, that they, yeah. not even not even I'm not talking about explicit. But I'm but saying that they'll like, go as far as the U.S. comics will go with a straight couple, right? And it's like that. I remember that's when I got into a lot of manga when I was younger. Was that like? There was Yaoi that I could read and like I could watch that actually showed two men like dating or trying to date, having a relationship. What was the big one that when I was coming up? Uh, Gravity. Wasn't it? Okay. Yeah, that was the big one about like the pop stars. Okay. And I read the shit out of that. Like me and my friend, my friend would take me to the um, little Chinese store she would go to and rent manga, and they had a small like English section, like a few things, and I would rent stuff on her account. Right. And I was like, that was amazing. That was great storyline. Right. And U.S. Just, comics don't give you that. And it's just like, it just irritates the fuck out of me because it's like, it's like, you know, I'll say anime and manga really started like getting its mainstream in the 2000s. Yeah. It's 2015. Where the fuck, what are you guys doing? Like, I just, like. I was in an anime, anime manga club in the 90s. Right. Um, you know, when I was 10 because I'm so young. But. <laughs> That is, I, I was exposed to all that shit, right. like, back then. So why is it still hard for you to acknowledge it today? Right. When it's a multi-million, billion yeah. dollar industry. They're making live-action Attack on Titans, and uh, people in America are, are super hyped. fucking hyped about yeah. it. Well, but 
American media is not covering it at all. Right. How does that fucking make sense? Right. And it's just like, uh, yeah. It sucks because it does show, it like, I feel like it shows create POC creators that's like, hey, you can even be super, super successful and mainstream media still won't cover you. Right. It still won't allow you the shine that you should have. And there's a, there's a second business part to that too, which is the reason manga and anime can do that is because the creators get more creative control and mm-hmm. more of their rights. They get paid more for doing well. Yeah. Whereas here, you're on contract, you only get paid per page, and anything you create, they own. Yep. So it's just like, why Why would you put your best into that ever? And we should say, I should say that there are comic book writers in the U.S. who are doing this, who are creating new books and doing amazing things, like Kelly Sue DeConnick with Bitch Planet, and um, Gail Simone with every fucking thing she touches, and uh, Matt Fraction and all these people. But they're also, for the most part, not doing it in long-running um, series. They're not, like, taking over... Like, we're not going to see Gail Simone take over Wonder Woman for the next 12 years and just her creative vision. Well, I would love that, right? but that's not something we're going to get. But the path for American comic writers... The path for American comic writers to get paid is... They they do enough comics until they can get a movie deal. That's basically it. Or writing for movies. Yeah, writing TV. for movies or create their own. Like, Well, no, no. Like, even creating your own isn't really going to get you a lot of money. Oh, no, it's not going to. You're just building up writing cred to get into something that will pay you. Mm. That's basically the reality of it. Everything else is just barely making it. Yeah. The artists, even less. Oh, the artists make way less. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, no, it's... it's and it's not even... Some of the other things is, I mean, the other thing that pays is making um, movie adaption comics. Right. Like, when they adapt films into comic book forms, you get paid a lot more. But even then, you're still not going to get any kind of residuals. You're oh, not no. going to gain merchandising payments, you know. And that's it. And it's like, there's a few people who are still doing okay based on that, but most of those people have been doing their shit since the 90s. Yeah. You know, you're talking like Mike Mignola... But he also got movies made out of his shit. He did, Hellboy, um, which is a great movie. Stan Sakai. Um, Usagi Ujimbo, and I wish he could get a cartoon because he fucking deserves it. Usagi Ujimbo has been going on for how many years now? Um, it, it's it been since the 90s. It's no, still going. It's still going. Yeah. This has been running for over like 20 years, and we can't get a cartoon, and it's a damn good comic. Yeah. It's, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it's just like. Mm. So, yeah, comic book companies. I'm not saying you gotta do manga. I'm not even saying you gotta do it the ma- the way manga companies do their thing. I'm just saying you should acknowledge them because 21 million. You can't say the problem is people aren't reading comics. The yeah. problem is they're not reading your comics, and you need to think about why that is. Preach. Yep. Um. Anything else? Or thanks and goodbye. I guess. Um. <laughs> thanks and goodbye. Uh. <laughs> no, I'm not gonna save it. I'll save it for my for my um. Why must it be next time? Um, I know last time I promised to have a video up. I have not have it up. I have it recorded. I just have to cut it together and put it up. So it's coming at some point. All right. Cool. All right, y'all. Take care. Peace.